Tonight, Trudeau tells the mainstream media what to say about the UN's migration pact, and they say it. It's December 6th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon Why? consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. You come here once a year with a sign, and you feel morally superior. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. If you watch my live YouTube show every week, it's on Fridays from noon till 1 p.m. Eastern time, you'll know that last week we went through the United Nations Global Compact for Migration point by point. Obviously, we didn't get through the entire document. It's 34 pages long, more than 16,000 words. It's a small book. But we went through what I thought were 10 troubling passages in it, like this one that simply says governments have to facilitate migrants to bring their entire families along with them, regardless of their skill level. It's pretty incredible, even Canadian citizens don't have that right. Or, or this one, where governments have to set up specialized migrant-focused healthcare that is culturally appropriate, they say, at both the national and local level. Oh, just that. Uh, how countries have to set up special human rights institutions to investigate and litigate any complaints made by, made by migrants. I did a word search, by the way, and the word rights appears 112 times in this document. The word democracy doesn't appear in it once. Uh, I showed how this document goes far beyond just immigration policy into propaganda. It calls for pro-immigration content to be put into school curriculums. And one of the most worrying passages is this long one, where the governments agree to re-educate journalists on the positives of migration. Seriously, journalists will now have to go through government training on this issue, and any journalist that doesn't is to be punished. The UN Compact calls on governments to cut off any such media outlets, cut them off from resources, and punish them. I think I'll probably do another video on the subject, but you, if you have a full hour, you can find my YouTube chat about this from last week. My point is, I actually read the thing and went through it line by line, including the full title of the document itself, which says quite a lot in just two sentences. Global Compact for Safe, Orderly, and Regular Migration, Intergovernmentally Negotiated and Agreed Outcome, 13 July 2018. It says it all. It's about normalizing and regularizing mass migration, legalizing it, putting in processes to turn the chaos of the past five years into an official thing, set up institutions to clear the way for migrants. Like I say, 112 mentions of the new human right to migrate. But, but that last part in the title there, this is already negotiated and agreed to. It happened back in July, apparently. Did you know we were negotiating and agreeing to this back in July? I'll admit, I didn't really even know about this until a couple months ago. Do you think most MPs even knew about it? Do you think most of them even know about it now? And here's a tough one, or an easy one. Do you think Justin Trudeau has actually read through the 34-page document that he has agreed to? I mean, really, do you think he's read it? I sure don't. He leaves the heavy thinking about immigration to this guy, George Soros, seen here at one of their meetings in New York City. It's not a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy fact. That photo was actually tweeted by Justin Trudeau himself. 
Here's an official press release from the government of Canada a few years back in which Trudeau agreed to outsource Canada's immigration policy to George Soros' foundation in New York called the Open Society Foundation. It has three main points, this agreement. The first two are about refugee policy, but look at the third one just for a second. Trudeau agreed with Soros that Canada would, and I quote, provide a vehicle that mobilizes citizens in direct support of refugees and encourages a broader political debate that is supportive of refugee protection. So again, it's not just about immigration. It's about immigration propaganda. George Soros will instruct Justin Trudeau on how to encourage a broader political debate that is supportive of refugee protection. Oh, so it's not really a debate then. It's just one side of a debate. It's not a debate anymore. You can't call it broader if you're actually narrowing it, can you? Well, you can do what you want if you're George Soros. So although George Soros had an enormous setback in 2016 when his chosen candidate, Hillary Clinton, lost, he has simply just colonized Canada as his new base of operations. He literally had Trudeau sign a contract giving him immigration policy powers. And I haven't seen a single news story about that in the mainstream media, have you? Oh, and here's Ahmed Hassan, the immigration refugee minister, posing with Alex Soros, George Soros's playboy son, who is a diehard globalist leftist just like his dad. Unlike Trudeau, I do believe that Hassan has read the document and he will impose it on Canadians with a vengeance. By the way, we at The Rebel filed an access to information request asking for any background documents showing the contracts and agreements and communications that the government and Soros had about their contract. Like I say, we know they did a deal. That's not a theory, it's a government press release. I showed it to you. But they said there were no documents. They just said, uh, yeah, there's, there's no records at all. So I wrote to them again more clearly, and they wrote back again, yeah, sorry, sorry, there's just, just nothing, not, not even a single record, not a single email, not a single memo, not a single record at all. <laughs> They're lying, of course. Imagine if Stephen Harper had signed a contract and put out a press release boasting that he had given Exxon the power to write Canada's oil sands policy, and the media simply ignored that scandal, and then one media outlet asked for records about the deal and was told, sorry, there's just, there's just no email, sorry, just, just trust us. So that's where we are. And next week, the official United Nations conference on this compact for migration kicks off in Marrakesh, Morocco. Like I say, it's a done deal. That's what the document says right on its cover. It's already agreed to. This conference will really just be a big party and a big photo op. Now, I don't know what Canadian media will actually be going there, but we're going. We're sending David Menzies, our experienced reporter, who was just down in Mexico for the better part of a week, embedded with a migrant caravan there that was making its way up to the U.S. border. So he's well briefed on this file. He's a fair journalist. As in he'll, he'll actually listen to both sides of the story, unlike the bulk of the mainstream media who treat any criticism of mass migration as a form of bigotry or something. It's not bigotry, of course. In fact, 80% of Canadians, according to this recent poll by Angus Reid, want Canadian immigration levels to either stay the same, 31% say that, or be reduced, 49% say that. So 80% want it the same or lower. Only 6%, as you can see, want immigration increase. Sorry, you cannot say that 80% of Canadians are bigoted because they don't want more immigration. Canadians just think immigration is out of control. And there are a lot of bad actors like George Soros who want it out of control and who delight in the chaos they're causing for the West. 
Canadians are actually very generous people, but we realize when we're being taken advantage of by people who aren't real refugees, by people who are breaking our laws. The fact that Justin Trudeau has dispatched our RCMP to literally be concierges and bellboys helping illegal immigrants carry their luggage across the border between New York and Quebec shows Canadians that he can't be trusted on this file. He's actually on the side of the cheaters and the fakers. We also know that Trudeau isn't vetting migrants. 13-year-old Marissa Shen of Vancouver was raped and murdered, and police have arrested and charged one of Trudeau's Syrian migrants, charged him with uh, the crime, he wasn't even supposed to be allowed into Canada. Trudeau said he wasn't going to accept single military-aged men from Syria. Uh, he lied. No one trusts Trudeau on immigration. And the fact that every question about immigration is met with a charge of racism is, is really gross, and I think it's starting to backfire. I really think that's a key re reason why Quebec threw out the Provincial Liberal Party this year and elected a new party that didn't even exist 10 years ago. Um, I, I think a key reason is because they promised to reduce immigration to Quebec by 20%, not increase it, reduce it. And they're also banning ostentatious displays of Islam in the public sector, like the niqab and the burqa. There was this awful moment on the campaign in Quebec, captured on a cell phone, when an old school Quebecois grandma asked Justin Trudeau about the massive cost of illegal immigration. Remember, they're walking into Quebec. And Trudeau told her that she was a bigot and she had no place in Quebec. You don't belong to Quebec. You have no place in Quebec. Yeah, so here we are. Next week, there's a big conference to consummate a deal that's already been agreed to, the UN. And anyone in Canada who disagrees is called a bigot, and Trudeau will probably say we don't have a place here in Canada. Now, until a few days ago, no one was talking about this. The Conservative MP Michelle Rempel raised it in question period, and Justin Trudeau had this reply. Mr. Speaker, the world is seeing unprecedented levels of men, women, and children displaced by war and by persecution. Our government is proud to have taken a leadership role on the Global Compact. This is the first time the international community has worked together to develop a comprehensive set of principles to better manage this phenomenon. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories while we work with the international community to protect our robust immigration system. Now, they didn't answer the question, of course, and it was a bit weird to hear him refer to us at, 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 the, at the rebel, just out of the blue. And you'll notice he was reading that word for word from a script. It's a little odd. And then Ahmed Hassan, the immigration minister himself, did the exact same thing, using the exact same word to the end. Take a look. Our government is proud to have taken a leadership position on the Global Compact. This is the first time that the international community has worked together to develop a comprehensive set of principles to better manage this phenomenon. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives and uh, Max, uh, the, the, mem the member opposite engage in peddling uh, rebel media conspiracy uh, theories while we work with the international community to protect our robust uh, immigration system. That was the exact same wording. In fact, we did a little mashup of those two guys. Did you see this? It is disappointing to see the Conservatives and uh, Max, uh, the, the, mem the member opposite engage in peddling uh, rebel media conspiracy uh, theories. It is disappointing to see the Conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. 
It is disappointing to see the conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy uh, theories. It is disappointing to see the conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. It is disappointing to see the conservatives engage in peddling rebel media conspiracy theories. Yeah, what do you think of that? I think that Gerald Butts, Trudeau's manager, wrote that script for both of them. Butts is obsessed by the rebel. Trudeau said that same thing a third time, uh, but he went off script slightly. Uh, did you see this one? Prime Minister. It's interesting, Mr. Speaker, in a, a question about sensitizing journalists, he's quoting rebel media talking points. Mr. Speaker, we are going to continue to stand up for immigration, knowing that defending diversity is a source of strength, and welcoming people through a rigorous immigration system from around the world is what has made Canada strong and indeed something the world needs more of, not less of, like they want to bring in. And then that pervy liberal MP from Calgary, Kent Hare, the one who was fired from cabinet over sexual misconduct, but not fired from the Liberal caucus, uh, weirdly. And he went on a rant about the rebel. Also, it's, it's a really weird thing. I mean, are we small and marginal as our enemies say we are? Or are we powerful and dangerous as those same enemies say we are? But, but to answer the charge directly, what conspiracy theory have we put forward? Seriously, go and watch my hour-long treatment of the UN document last week on YouTube. Look at what I've said here today. Where's the conspiracy theory? I've, I've just read from the document itself. I, I know Trudeau hasn't read it. It's 34 whole pages long, and there's no pictures. I pointed to a government contract with George Soros by showing you the Canadian government press release of it. Now, they won't release the contract itself. They say, oh, there's no correspondence, no records whatsoever. So I think it could feed a paranoid feeling that there's some conspiracy there. But I've documented everything I've said today, haven't I? This whole thing only makes sense, though. When you remember that part of this UN migrant pact, um, remember paragraph 33, I showed it to you? The part for governments to demonize any media critics of mass migration. That was, I quoted to that earlier. So, so that's what they're doing. And they're going to reward and re-educate good journalists who are trustworthy and who are on message with the liberals. And that is exactly what they're doing. They are rewarding journalists that Trudeau can trust. Remember his $595 million in, in bailout money for the election year. And the journalists, well, look, they didn't need a lot of prompting to begin with. You know, the Globe and Mail, the National Post, they've adopted this strategy over the past year or so of just ignoring us here at The Rebel most of the time. We break news all the time here at The Rebel, especially using access to information scoops. So these other journalists, they don't follow up on our great stories, even when it's huge news, because they don't want to give credit to us or even mention our existence. It's really weird. It's sort of a high school mean girls thing. Sometimes media party journalists just steal our stuff and rewrite it, pretending it was theirs. Can I show you something? Here's a story, and you'll notice on October 17th, Sheila broke some news about Catherine McKenna. She made some tweet that praised Bashar Assad of Syria for fighting global warming. It was a funny, nutty story about McKenna and how she blamed a junior staffer for her own weird decisions. But the important thing there is that story came out on October 17th. And you'll, you'll notice, uh, if you look at the story, Sheila published the entire access to information document online for anyone to see. We always do that. But then here, look at this. 
October 25th, eight days later, the CBC just rewrote Sheila's scoop. CBC News has obtained documents under the Access to Information Act showing the minister's office gave a final thumbs up to the tweet 51 minutes before it popped up on the blah, blah, blah. Yeah, no, 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 you liars. Um, Sheila broke that story eight days ago and published the memo. You didn't, you didn't break that news. My point is the other media ignore the rebel, hoping we'll go away. We haven't gone away. We often have more viewers than them, and they hate that. But my point here is that the Globe and the Post generally ignore us, but not now. Look at this. Today, front page of the National Post. Holy cow. John Iverson, who, who's the liberal embed at the National Post, he refers to my video about this migration pact right on the front page there. They never do that. And the Globe and Mail's Campbell Clark, Trudeau's man at the Globe, he does the same thing. Same line, same story, same, same thing, same day. Now, I don't want to engage in a conspiracy theory here, but it is hilarious and pitiful to me that Justin Trudeau offered to pay the Globe and Mail and the National Post $595 million, but only if he can trust them. Trudeau then replies to any legitimate questions about this migration compact as a rebel media conspiracy theory. And then, as if on command, by magic, the Globe and Mail and the National Post say the same thing as the Liberals do on the same day after not talking about us for years. That's embarrassing, guys. I mean, get a room. What's so funny about all this is that neither the Post nor the Globe could actually find anything we said that was inaccurate. If you actually read John Everson or Campbell Clark, they, just, they might disagree with our contention. I mean, the Post, John Everson disagreed with my contention that this pact is dangerous. That was the one word they took issue with. Well, that's my opinion. It's probably an opinion shared by Marissa Shen's grieving family. But it's an opinion. It's not a conspiracy theory or factual error. I say it's dangerous. It's not a conspiracy theory. The Globe and Mail disagrees with my contention that this pact will regularize illegal immigration. Well, that's exactly what it does in 34 pages of detail. The word regular is even the title of that. But seriously, if, if that's the best they've got, they don't got a lot. Now, this is a big deal. Trudeau has long said he doesn't believe Canada has a national identity. He tells foreign papers this all the time. He said Canada is a post-national state. That's what he says. No core identity. He means it. He doesn't believe in borders, even though his official residence has a tall fence and armed security, and he jets to private islands with his family for vacations. He'll open the borders for the rest of us, and Ahmed Hassan will be there to help them. Um, well, we're going we're gonna to keep criticizing this by actually citing the facts and actually reading the document, two things that Justin Trudeau hasn't done. And we're going to send our reporter, David Menzies, along with a cameraman, to Marrakesh, Morocco next week, to this UN conference. The UN is giving us trouble with accreditation. Obviously, Trudeau and Hassan have intimated, don't let these guys in. Maybe they've sent it in another memo they won't disclose. Again, not a conspiracy theory. The Canadian government has told the UN not to let us into previous conferences. Take a look here. The UN specifically 
declined allowing us into the Global Warming Conference because they said that the Canadian government delegation blackballed us. Catherine McKenna said, don't let them in. But hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> John Iveson and Campbell Clark will still be allowed to go if they want, just as long as they continue to say exactly what Justin Trudeau and Gerald Butts and Ayman Hassan want them to say, exactly word for word on the same day. And they'll get a $595 million tip for services rendered. Not us. We're not going to take that Trudeau money. So if you want to help us send David to the UN, please help us cover his flight and the cost of our cameraman's flight. Please go to rebelun.com. You can see more about our project and, and chip in there. Look, unlike the Globe and Mail and the National Post and Justin Trudeau, we actually read the deal. And we're with the 80% of Canadians who are sick of Trudeau's immigration policies. Go to rebelun.com to help. Thanks. Well, as I have mentioned, we have a busy international week coming up. In addition to sending David Menzies and a videographer to the Marrakesh Conference on the UN Global Compact for Migrants, we're also sending our Sheila Gunn-Reed and a videographer to Poland to cover the UN Global Warming Convention. The UN has their conventions at the same time, so it's uh, we're deploying our whole forces overseas. And whenever we go to the Global Warming Conference, we've been to two of them before, Sheila has, we love to meet up with our friend and ally, Mark Morano, the boss of ClimateDepot.com. And he joins us now via Skype from Washington, D.C., before he departs for Poland. Hey, Mark, great to see you. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you very much, Ezra. I'm coming to you uh, live here from the Trump International Hotel in Washington, D.C. I just came from an event at EPA headquarters across the way where my old boss, the EPA chief, Andrew Wheeler, was announcing some more rollbacks of Obama coal mandates uh, that have been in place for several years now. So the Trump administration continues its pro-energy policies. I'm very glad to hear that. And I remember you and I have spoken several times about Scott Pruitt, who was Donald Trump's first yes. EPA pick. He was so good. He was uh, a state attorney general who was suing the EPA, so he knew where all the bodies were yes. buried, so to speak. They managed to drum him out. So you're saying his successor is continuing the pro-energy work. He is. He's much more low-key than Scott Pruitt. One of the things the media was able to do was tell, send the signal to any member of the Trump administration, if you dare get aggressive like Scott Pruitt did, we will come after you. So I think uh, sadly, there's less confrontational, but behind the scenes, they're still working very diligently to pursue the same policies. So tell me a little bit about this, because we know, of course, that Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama hated coal. And in unguarded yes. moments, they spoke very bluntly about it. Um, yes. you, you know, Obama, here, let's play a quick clip of what Obama sure. said about uh, basically bankrupting these companies. So if somebody wants to build a coal power plant, they can. It's just that it will bankrupt them because they're going to be charged a huge sum for all that uh, greenhouse gas that's being emitted. And Mark, I want to play one more clip for you. This was just stunning. This is Hillary Clinton in a town hall meeting. This wasn't even some private uh, affair 
saying she looks forward to laying off coal miners from West Virginia. Remember this? I'm the only candidate which has a policy about how to bring economic opportunity using clean renewable energy as the key into coal country because we're going to put a lot of coal miners and coal companies out of business. So, Mark, it was just incredible, the, the hostility towards an industry. I mean, it reminds me of Canada, frankly, and the hatred for oil and gas up here. So tell me what, what the actual policies were that Trump is now undoing. So we saw the awful rhetoric. What, what was the law or the policy that Trump's now undoing? Well, one of the things he's undoing is Obama mandate was that money went going to coal could only look at carbon capture and storage. The idea is that we capture the carbon dioxide and try to bury it, put it underground, which makes no sense. You're putting plant food underground. So what they've done now at the EPA under the auspices of the Clean Air Act, remember, there's still severe legal restrictions on what the EPA can do because of that 2007 Supreme Court ruling, the so-called endangerment finding that found carbon dioxide could be regulated as a toxic pollutant. So now they're expanding coal's coal mine funding research to include new technologies that the UN, U.S. can then develop and export overseas. And one of the points that Administrator Wheeler made today at the press conference, and it was a very skeptical media, the New York Times, everyone else there, was that if the United States can continue to lead the way in technological revolution with carbon-based fuel, it will benefit the rest of the world because they will take our uh, our technology and use it. And we'll export that technology, which would result in lower emissions. Because his point was, coal is not going anywhere. A hundred years ago, 80% of our energy came from carbon-based fuel, same as today worldwide. And the coal is a huge part of that all over the globe. And the U.S. needs to be a player, not have its hands tied with research, development, and, and uh, under, under these regulations. But the, the big goal remains, and that's to overturn the Supreme Court ruling. And that's what is going to take years and uh, you know, ultimately have to go back to the courts. You know, it's a great point. Uh, I love to show this New York Times article uh, from a little while back about China is not only building hundreds of coal plants in its own yes. country, but it is now a major international builder of coal-fired power plants for other countries. And if those, uh, that's the argument I used to make with ethical oil for Canada. Look, China, India, places like that are going to buy oil from somewhere better from Canada than yes. from Saudi or Iran. If there's going to be a new coal-fired power plant going up in Indonesia or going up in in India, better that be an American company than a Chinese company. That's my point of view. Yes, and China's still building, according to the EPA today, latest estimate, at least one coal, new coal plant a week. And they're not scheduled to have peak emissions until at least 2030. Remember, that was the big deal with President Obama's big meeting with China. Oh, we have this new agreement. And basically, China agreed to do what it was projected to do anyway, which was... You know, cap out their emissions. But I'm going to Poland and we're actually going to be meeting with Polish mine workers. I'm going to speak at, a, at an event uh, at the John, Col- John Paul II Cultural Center. And the Polish uh, coal worker is revered over there. 79% of Poland energy comes from coal. Coal workers, according to Poles, are the most revered segment of workers in the country of Poland. And they are. Um, uh, one of the most best paid with the highest benefits. So this is the UN is going directly at that. And the EU is trying to get a $1.5 billion bribe to Poland to help offset all the job losses as they try to transition 
off of coal. Wow. But as I made as I made this point to the to the Polish member of Parliament, who just was very uh, appreciative, they were dominated by the Germans. They were dominated by the Soviets for decades, and now the new master is going to be the EU and the United Nations as they're trying to cripple Poland's energy economy right now. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Uh, you know, I want to. Um talk more about that and thank you for segueing to your trip to Poland because of course Sheila Gunn, that Poland, how do you pronounce the name of that city where the conference, Katowice, is that how you say it? Yes, Katowice. It looks like Katowice, but it's yeah. Katowice. Okay. Well, that's a very interesting. Of course, Sheila Gunn-Reed is going there. She has met yes. up with you both in Morocco and Bonn, Germany. She's becoming a regular like you are, and, and I know you'll have lots of thoughtful things to tell her as sort of our friendly expert there. But I, I want to sort of cross-pollinate here for a second. We've been focused on another global, uh, another UN conference too. I mentioned the Marrakesh Global Migrant Compact. And there's, I want to show you, uh, let me read it to you, because I'm pretty sure you haven't read it, because you're focused on the global warming yeah. side. But let me read to you part of this migration treaty. It's, a, it's called an, a, a compact that deals with the media. Can I read? It's, it, it's about 50 sure. words. Let me read this to you. And I'd love your feedback on it from another UN point of view, because you know the climate side. I want to read to you from the migration side. Here. Um, this is paragraph 33 of the compact. Governments must, quote, promote independent, objective, and quality reporting of media outlets, including internet-based information, including by sensitizing and educating media professionals on migration-related wow. issues and terminology, investing in ethical reporting standards and advertising, and stopping allocation of public funding or material support to media outlets that systematically promote intolerance, xenophobia, racism, wow. and other forms of discrimination towards migrants. So this is a very lengthy um, part of the uh, compact that goes to promoting propaganda media and censoring dissident media. What do you think of that? Well, this awfully, almost exactly sounds like what happened to you uh, two years, I believe it was two years ago, when the UN didn't want your media there because it wouldn't be helpful to the message. This is going a step further, saying that you need essentially re-indoctrination, re-education camps if you don't agree with the UN's view on migrant issues. And we're seeing this everywhere. It's a complete intolerance. We see it in the climate debate. In other words, you are not legitimate if you don't accept the conclusions of the United Nations Climate Panel and or Al Gore. And they talk about intimidation, reindoctrination, banning, uh, boycotts. So the UN is staying true to its uh, word on climate, and it's expanding this whole message of intolerance into the migrant issue as well. I was not aware that they had this memo out or this understanding out. Yeah, that, I mean, that you and I have talked before about how... Um, state broadcasters like the BBC uh, blackball anyone who's a climate skeptic. That's one thing, but for governments to, to actively suppress skepticism, I think that's a new level for yeah. the UN. So if it's happening on the migration side, you better believe it's going to happen on the climate side. Listen, Marcus, and, and, go ahead. 
Well, as I say, keep in mind, in America, we have the Green New Deal. Al Gore just endorsed it uh, two days ago. And essentially, it's 80% nothing to do with climate. It's all about these other issues. So it's very natural to talk about open borders, guaranteed college education, guaranteed housing, guaranteed income. That's where climate is fitting into this whole issue. It's had nothing to do with climate environment, as we, as we both know. And that's where they're going with this. They're just, it's, it's their worldview. It's a central planned worldview. It's, uh, and it's a socialist worldview, for lack of a better word. And this is where they're going. They're using the climate scare to achieve this. And it's, it's dripped over to the migrant issue and uh, to, uh, no borders. And that's what's happening right now to Poland. In Poland, they're literally facing sovereignty issues as the EU and UN are squeezing them hard to start dismantling their coal industry, which is almost 80% of their energy. Yeah, wow. Well, Mark, it's great to see you. I know you and Sheila will have an interesting investigation yes. together. Maybe she can tag along with you on one of the coal trips. I don't know. I'll have to talk with her. I haven't sure. seen her detailed itinerary, but I know that you, you provide excellent analysis. I don't know anyone well, else who is as up to date on all these issues as you are, so I'm very grateful for our friendship. Um, uh, so she'll see you over there. I just want to invite our viewers. Mark, great to see you again. And Thank of course, you. you're the boss at climatedepot.com. All our people know that. But let me close, if I may, by encouraging people to go to rebelun.com. And you can find out more about both uh, David Menzies' trip to the Migration Conference and Sheila's trip to the Global Warming Conference. And if you believe in our independent reporting and if you believe in getting voices like Mark Morano out to the world, please consider chipping into our crowdfunding because we got to buy airfare for two journalists and two videographers to fly very far away. The total cost of those trips is over $10,000 to us. If you can chip in 10 bucks, 100 bucks, if you feel a move to donate 500, we'd be grateful. That's rebelun.com. Mark, thanks for letting me put that pitch at the end. And thanks for joining us via Skype from uh, the no Trump Hotel in Washington. Looks great there. <laughs> yes, I got my, I didn't, the waiter just delivered my food here. And I just wanted to say, you're, you guys do such a great job. You're always there when I get arrested by armed UN cops and I'm hauled off and, and, and I, I thank your cameras for recording it. You are the, the cameras of record for these UN conferences. So I'm right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you won't be roughed up too much uh, this time, but we'll be there if it happens. Thanks, Mark. Uh, thanks a lot. Okay, Appreciate you it. have it. Mark Morano, what a good egg. And he's been there as our uh, on the ground expert uh, that we talk with when we see him at these conferences. Like us, they don't like him much and they treat him very poorly as the UN does to any dissidents. I think that's why it's so important that he goes and why we send Sheila as we will this year for the third year in a row. Stay with us, more ahead on The Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue yesterday about Catherine McKenna bringing 126 people to the Global Warming Conference in Poland. Brad writes, there will be no negotiations. It's another holiday on the taxpayer's dime. Yeah, I don't even know how you negotiate with 16 people. Like, how? how? Does everyone talk at once? I, like, I, I don't think there were 16 people involved in the great armistice that ended World War I. Like, I don't think there's 16 people in the room when, when Secretary of State Pompeo sits down with the South Koreans and the North Koreans to, to get it. I don't think there's 16 people in the room there. Uh, but, but Catherine McKenna is extremely very important. And all these people have to come to Poland because there's a lot of negotiating going on. Who knows? Maybe there is some negotiating going on. We won't know about it because it's undemocratic. 
I showed you how this global migrant compact has already negotiated and agreed to. I don't even think any Canadians heard about it. It certainly wasn't debated in Parliament. Deborah writes, did you see Elizabeth May on that list of environmental mooches? Yes, I did. Uh, and I'm sorry, I, I probably should have mentioned it. And there is also a conservative MP named Mike Lake going. And I mentioned some of the unions. And there's a ton of lobbyists and NGOs. I, you know what? I, I, could, I theoretically could have gone through every one of the 126 names and had some comment on them. I, I just didn't want to go on that long. I think I went through about 25 of the 126. Um, yeah, it's as bad as you think. On my interview with Andrew Lawton, Robert writes, the media in Canada should be disgusted with their actions. They aren't really media, though. It's just propaganda and fake news. Look, I mean, I think it's okay to have a journalist with a point of view. I'm one of them. But when you are paid as a lobbyist and you have an official campaign to defeat someone, as Unifor does, Unifor has a big budget, they're going to campaign against the Conservatives, they've said so, I just don't think it's kosher that you say, now I'm an independent journalist and this is my own editorial opinion without a disclaimer. Like I say, I think the example I gave would, would, would be like an oil lobbyist writing about a subject and not disclosing that he's paid by the oil lobbyist or paid by some, I mean, listen, we take letters from lobbyists all the time. Think about it. We're, it's often the most interesting letters because we want to hear a strong point of view. When an ambassador writes a letter to a newspaper, that's very, very interesting. But it's interesting because we know that's the view of an interest. It's signed ambassador so-and-so. It's not just Joe Bloggs uh, living downtown. Knowing where someone's coming from, what their interests are, is important to understand the meaning of it. And Unifor is hiding that. And by the way, my friend David Aiken, when this news came out a few weeks ago, he said, oh, we're, we're going to fight for change. As far as I know, uh, not a single Unifor journalist has requested a meeting to deal with this issue, even though their constitution explicitly allows them to hold a meeting on this subject if they simply have 25% of the members of a local union they can get a meeting on 60 days notice. They don't care. They want the money. Tyler writes, George Orwell was required high school reading in the 80s. Do they even read books in high school anymore? Don't ask such depression questions, okay? Just don't. It's all Pokemon this and you know, you know, transgender environmentalism for, you know, I, and I'm, if you, I, I just wish I were kidding. I wish I were kidding. And um, yeah, it, it, what a depressing question to end on. I want to tell you something, though. You just made me think of something. I think I've told you I've been to China. I went there for, for, I don't know, about a month, about 10 years ago now, even more. And um, just give me an anecdote. Give me a minute to show you an anecdote, because you asked about Orwell. Um, so I land in, uh, I think I flew into Shanghai or Beijing, I can't remember. And um, I thought it was a snowstorm, but it was like 35 degrees. That's, I thought it was a snowstorm. I thought we were landing in a blizzard. It was smog, swear to God. I thought it was a snowstorm. So I thought they were going to stop me at the airport, because when I applied for the visa, I put journalists down, which was stupid. If you're going to journalists, don't, if you're going to China, don't put journalists on your visa. Oh my God, they, I was certain they were going to turn us around, but they let me in. And the first thing I did, and the missus was frustrated, she wanted to do tourist stuff. I said, let's go to a bookstore. I want to see what books I can find. Just as a little test. 
And I went to a bookstore. It's just a regular bookstore. Most of the books were in Chinese. Most of the bestsellers were how to make money on the internet, how to make money on the stock market. It's all about money, money, money. Fair enough, right? I said, okay, can I find Animal Farm by George Orwell? And yes, I found it. Okay, can I find 1984? Yes, I could find it. I think this was in Shanghai or Beijing, one of the big cities. I'm not saying this would be, but I, but I was just testing for censorship. I wasn't testing for selection. I was, could I find, and I was trying to think, could I find um, books uh, like On Liberty by John Stuart Bill? That's another book I checked. Yes, I could find it. That's a book about freedom. I checked, um, could I find some of the debates of the U.S. Founding Fathers, the, the Federalist Papers or whatnot, I, I can't even remember what they're called. Like I was looking for American revolutionary freedom writing, and yes, I could. You know, where I ran into trouble was where I started looking for religious books, like Christian books, blah, 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 or anything critical of Mao, blah, 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 or anything critical uh, or anything about the Falun Gong. That's a Chinese uh, spiritual sect that the communists hate. But I want to tell you, and I'm not here saying the Chinese are a free country at all. You know I don't believe that. And I think many things have gotten worse in the 10 years since I've been there. But it is a fact that the Chinese people, at least in this store, I think I probably went to a couple stores, I don't remember exactly, could read 1984. They could read it. Now, I'm not saying that they were inspired by it and there was, it animated them, but I'm saying I could, I could find that book there. And I put it to you, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, that some of the internet censorship we have observed in the last year, personalities being banned from Facebook, banned from Twitter, banned from PayPal, banned from Patreon, banned, 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 is a more restrictive bandwidth on conversations in North America than I observed in that bookstore in China that day 10 years ago. Now, I'm not saying that things aren't worse now in China. I don't know, I haven't been there, and I'm sure they are worse. I'm just saying, don't think that, that Orwellianism is something alien anymore. I think it's happening here too. All right, give me your thoughts on that. Was I too heavy duty? Let me know, send me an email. As it the Rebel Media. That's it for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.